I will never forget going to interview and being asked if my hair was presentable. I'm Christine, co-founder of Numbered Curls. Through our hair consultations and customized hair and skincare products, we help you to look and feel your best so that you can focus on all of the rest when it comes to your business or your career. Stop wasting time styling your hair or your beard. Stop wasting money when it comes to products that don't work. Click the link in the bio below to transform your hair journey today. Welcome to another edition of the Work and Play podcast. I'm your host, Arielle Young, and I have the fabulous Christine Archie here to talk about her career journey. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, you are. You guys are in store for a really cool conversation and just a wonderful career journey for us to unfold on camera, on the podcast, in, in, in like, I guess, document this moment. Right. Um, we're in this like precipice. So I'll introduce um, Christine just a little bit. We met on the morning meetup and I'm, though I'm in Atlanta and you're in L.A., we decided to meet up on this awesome occasion and have this podcast here in the same room <laughs> together. Um, now, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. So my name is Christine. As was mentioned, I started out in finance been in finance for, ooh, I won't even tell you how long because I got, I want you guys to think that I'm young and beautiful, <laughs> but it's been some time. I would say maybe about 15 years in finance and accounting. And from there, my career in finance and accounting just evolved from me just being a regular general accountant to me taking on managerial roles, to me even getting little tidbits of speaking opportunities to me now being an entrepreneur and the owner of my own company, Numbered Curls. So that is me in a nutshell. Other than that, I would say I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, I'm a dog mommy for anybody who loves dogs. <laughs> and that is me. I love it. So Christine, for um, for your awareness, because we didn't talk too much about like the the evolution of the podcast, but in a philosophical way, the conversations that we're going to have on the podcast are centered around career journeys, right? But they're also about life transitions and self-actualization. And just from what I know about your story so far, <laughs> we have so much to talk about yeah. and so much to get into in an hour. And so we're going to try to fit everything in and whatever you guys don't hear is going to have to go into part two. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> so how about this? Um, one commonality that a lot of my guests have is their journey in corporate America or out of corporate America. So if you'd like to start us off with like how you got into corporate, where was your start? Yeah, so I went to Claremont McKenna College, which is in Pomona, California, or Claremont, California. And my parents told me that I only had four years in which to graduate. That was all that they were going to pay for. <laughs> and I needed to figure out my major ASAP. I had seen so many people where they took these weird majors like PE and didn't really know what to do with their life after that. And I said, that's not going to be me. <laughs> My mom is a CPA and she was a manager for the IRS until she retired. And my dad, on the other hand, was in pharmaceutical sales. So he had an econ and business background. Mm -hmm. So at my school, I figured econ accounting, that was one of the majors. Boom. I can either go down finance, accounting, business. There were a plethora of opportunities for me through that. And that is what opened the door for me to go to corporate. Because as soon as I got to Claremont McKenna College, I met a man named Eric Butts, who was a, I think he was a sophomore at the time. 
he gave me guidance and said, you want to start networking with some of these companies so that they can get to know you. And it's going to help you in opening the door for your nine to five. And sure enough, networking starting out from freshman year all the mm-hmm. way to senior year is what got me a job at PricewaterhouseCoopers, which was one of the biggest accounting firms and still is one of the best, excuse me, auditing firms in the world. Absolutely, it is. So when you think about like your decision to ma- to pick your major, it sounds like it was, you know, around, you know, stability, security. Absolutely. It was a logical decision and then getting a, you know, securing a spot at PwC it just kind of solidifies that grounding and stability. Right. So is that where your mindset was when you decided to go into this career? Was it this stability, this thought of stability? Absolutely. I had seen my parents. They were first generation as far as getting an education, being the first in their families to graduate from college. Mm-hmm. So that set the bar for me. Go to college and then get a good job. And they ingrained that in me ever since I was a little girl. Mm-hmm. So for me, stability was going to college getting a good job, getting those benefits and getting a paycheck that you knew and could rely on. So you you pretty much were scot-free after that, right? <laughs> so you would think. But right. yeah. and, and, you know, you mentioned the first generation. Your parents were first generation educated. Mm-hmm. Were, and I know they were um, economics and then um, CPA, but mm-hmm. were they in the corporate industry or were they in like small companies? So my mom worked for the IRS. So she was in the government space. Got She's it. still trying to get me to go to the IRS. Mm-hmm. Hi, mommy. <laughs> we love you. And my dad, he was in the corporate world. So with pharmaceutical sales, he moved from a lot of the big major brands that are producing some of the main medicine that you see that's out there today. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a part of your foundation that we already have right now was that networking piece that, um, and I don't want to mess up his name, but CB is coming to my mind. The person who told you about networking in college? Oh, Eric Butts. Eric Butts, not Eric Butts, <laughs> not CB. Um, and so you already had this networking um, foundation. Your father um, was corporate, which mm-hmm. I, I always talk about, uh, excuse me, I always talk about um, first generation corporate Americans. And you weren't necessarily first generation, but you had to learn PwC in a completely different way. So I'm curious, in addition to networking, what were some of the things that you learned about yourself as you navigated through like another corporate industry? I found out that I'm different. So I learned that most accountants and people in finance fit under a certain model. Like Mm. they are very studious, uh, they are on time a lot and organized and all of these things that I just really wasn't. So when I was at PwC, I was there, I was doing the work, I was good at what I did, but I never really fit in. So it was almost like a black swan <laughs> in amongst a lake full of white swans. Yeah. I just stood out and I didn't really realize up until now that the differences that I had is because maybe I was meant for something more than just my nine to five. Absolutely. I think in retrospect, we always put those like pieces together. And even though in the moment it feels like, why does this feel so crappy? We always look (laughs) back and then we see that everything has a purpose. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. And so um, you were developing a part of your identity, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. You were developing a part of your identity, it sounds like. And one of the things that it sounds like that shaped it was you being different. 
But then how did you find your way into, you know, navigating through corporate America? And how did that shape your identity as a part of something, someone who belonged there? My parents, even to this day, at my nine to five, I'm always going to them for guidance because they, to me, are the epitome of what a good nine to five employee looks like. So I'm always on the phone, mommy, daddy, how would you handle this situation? Mommy, daddy, what would you do in this situation? And so just observing the people that were in my surroundings is one, how I was able to learn. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, asking people and finding mentors who could help me navigate through and teach me on what it meant to be a nine to five employee. That's really how I got the grounding that I got and being able to navigate through. Mm. Now, when it comes to navigating corporate America, we know that there are some highs and some lows. Mm -hmm. And I think because we started this conversation from a a networking perspective, that helps us in a positive way. But what have those those navigational skills really helped you do? Like, can you think of one of those low situations where the navigational skills really clicked clicked in for you and turned out well? Yeah. So because I was always taught to observe my surroundings and blend in, and I think just even being an African-American in corporate America, you have to really learn the surroundings, know what is acceptable, know what isn't. And it's a little unfortunate that it does have to be that way. But being able to sit and observe is what's helped me in those low moments, because then I can easily see If this is the norm, if the norm is everybody walking straight, and now I see people starting to take steps backward, that to me is a red flag. Mm -hmm. So other people are just sitting around and saying, oh, okay, we're walking backwards now. Let me walk backwards. And I'm like, I'm going to walk backwards so that everybody thinks that everything is okay, but I'm going to sit and observe and see, okay, why are people walking backwards? And what is that going to mean for me? Wow. Mm -hmm. You're speaking real, like, (laughs) spicy when it comes to, like, this corporate navigational um, journey. And I want to give it a little color because I'm still curious... So you you just kind of describe a situation where if the, if if everyone's doing like kind of um, moving in groupthink, you want them to think that you're moving in groupthink as well, but you're also thinking about your next strategy. Absolutely. Could you give us an example of like, well, first, what was your role at PwC, and then how did that actually like kick in for you? Give us an example. <laughs> so at PwC, I was just a general auditor. I had been at PwC for almost about three years. And where that kicked in for me is when I was in the financial services market. So that meant all of my customers were like banks, insurance companies, et cetera. So when I got placed on an entertainment company, that to me was something's not right. Typically, if you are in a certain industry, you stay in that certain industry. So when the company started moving me around to different industries, that to me was backpedaling. And I had to really see, okay, what is the company's mission in this time right now? And the company was looking to maybe let me go. So those were things that I had to really sit back and consider, okay, what's really going on when these different changes are happening? Yeah. And it sounds like your spotty senses were picking up on a reorg. Mm -hmm. And so is that that exact is that exactly what happened? That is exactly what happened. And that is exactly what happened to me. But So thankfully, because my spidey senses were tingling, I got a recruiter early on before anything ever happened. And so it didn't impact me as much as it could have had I just still been moving in groupthink and thinking, oh, this is okay and everything is okay. You know, that's a really good thing. And, and for our listeners who are, for me, I went into corporate 
I was kind of raised corporate, but mm-hmm. not in a sense that I had parents who were corporate American citizens. I was first generation corporate, oh, meaning cool. I got all of my savvy from programs, from other corporations. And the thing that they don't tell you is about those like reorgs, how to navigate through like self-esteem, how to your spidey senses. Nothing is nothing was intuitive in my development. And one thing that you're describing is how to navigate those things that are unsaid and the waters that are, you know, really untreadable depending on like who you're, what you're making is and your awareness. So mm-hmm. you're really talking about awareness. Mm-hmm. So that self-awareness, you had it, but it didn't necessarily keep you in the role. Did you end up getting cut or what happened next? Yeah, so I left PwC, and thankfully, one of the jobs that I was placed on that was one of those backpedaling jobs was the very next company that I ended up working for. So God worked everything out for my good, and I was able to develop relationships and hit the ground running. And that was where I spent 13 years of my life, was at that new company where I randomly was placed on that random backpedaling job. Mm. Now, was was PwC the one and only company that you interviewed for, or did you have other companies you were interested in? Uh, at the time, I did not. So that was the only company that I interviewed for. I had taken an internship my junior year and was working at a insurance broker company called Arthur J. Gallagher. I loved that company. To this day, I wish oh, that I would have worked there. But I fell in love with the people there. And ideally, I was supposed to work for them. But because of Eric Butts telling me network with PwC and all of those big auditing firms, I did that. And then that opened the door for me to be at Pricewaterhouse. Yeah. What were one of the things that are some of the things that really interested you at that company that, you know, made you want to stay there, but you ended up going to PwC? Well, I didn't realize it at the time, but they introduced me to Toastmasters, which I love Toastmasters. Join Toastmasters. (laughs) (laughs) And so that is where I really found my voice was at that company and being able to speak in front of CEOs and CFOs. That's where I got my first taste of that. And once I got that taste, I was hooked. And they also gave me the freedom to determine what I wanted to do with my life. So they had me working on contracts. They had me being able to handle claims. They had me going out with the sales team and listening to them do pitches. And so being able to have the freedom to decide what I wanted to do with my life was something that intrigued me. I don't like being told what to do. And so being able to decide and make that decision on my own was something that was unprecedented for me. Yeah. So it sounds like personal development, as well as autonomy at such a young age, Mm -hmm. by the way. And you decided to go PwC for what? The money. (laughs) Oh, I know I'm not a gold digger. I promise I am not. I promise (laughs) money's not everything. And I learned that from being at PwC, that money's not everything. But yeah. PwC gave me well more money as offering first salary than Arthur J. Gallagher did. And now in retrospect, I really wish that at a young age that both me, younger me, and that also people that are now at a young age and getting ready to go to college, that they don't always think about the money because there are other things that matter, not just money. Absolutely. When we're in those negotiations at such a young age, when we get that first dollar amount, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, whoopee. Mm-hmm. And some most people don't even negotiate right. when we get, like most of us mm-hmm. um, don't don't negotiate when, when we get our first corporate salary. But 
you had an opportunity that, you know, a lot of times people don't necessarily have the wherewithal to tell us, hey, listen to your heart, Mm -hmm. listen to the autonomy that you're getting, like who offers Toastmasters, those type of things, which we when you think about the entire package, those mm-hmm. things count. But we didn't know. You didn't right. know. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. Now, you went from PwC and then you left. You went to another company. So what happened in this next chapter? So that, oh my gosh, I loved my company so much. That's why I was there for 13 some odd years. I came in as just a regular accountant. Mm-hmm. Then I moved throughout the company. So I can't even tell you how many roles I had at that company because I was able to dip my toes into everything, which was ideal for me because yeah. I always saw myself being the CEO or CFO of a company before. And to do that, you needed to know all of the different departments. So I worked in accounting. I was the global fixed asset manager. I moved to external reporting. I did some internal audit. And then I landed in treasury. And having that wealth of knowledge, when I really step back and look at that, it's pretty amazing because not that many people have had exposure to all of those departments. And then through treasury, I was able to get to know the legal team and the accounts receivable and accounts payable. And so it really laid the foundation of these are the all the key components that are needed in a business. Should I ever decide that I want to make my own or should I decide that I want to be the CEO of a company? I now know what all of those departments are supposed to look like. Yeah. And the cool thing is we're going to get into that for sure, because I think that is certainly a seed that God planted in your life mm-hmm. for where you are now. But your eyes lit up when you talked about treasury. And for well, for me, because I don't necessarily... I'm embarrassed sometimes to say I have a degree in finance, so I have to get out of the way for anyone who watches this and they're like, hey, that girl went to UGA, got a degree in finance. Yes. But when if you could give us some insight into what that role in treasury really does and how does it even connect to someone who has a degree in economics, you know, or someone who has a degree in finance? Absolutely. So don't feel bad because <laughs> when I was in accounting and the treasury manager who I was really close to. Just in proximity, he literally was at the cubicle next to me. When I found out what treasury was, that was when it was like, oh. And so in that job as a treasurer, I basically managed the cash for the company, meaning I got access to all the bank accounts. I determined when things were being paid. So as any person does, I love money. I love (laughs) dealing with money. So if you tell me I'm handling money, I'm making investments on behalf of the company, I'm bringing in investment revenue, that to me, I could easily see how I was impacting the company and making a difference. Like even last year, 2020, I brought in 17 million in interest income from all of the investments, excuse me, in investment income for all the investments that I did. So being able to literally take millions of dollars and make investments was like super powerful to me. So I did that. So managing the cash, managing all of the bank accounts, managing and putting investments, dealing with investments, hedging. So we were a globally based company. So I needed to be able to transact in USD and other companies and make sure that we were okay from a hedging perspective. I also did risk management. So I got to dabble in insurance, Uh which is what I did a little bit of in an internship after college. So being able to handle the claims, Mm. claims are juicy. 
I'm telling you. <laughs> when you're like, Susie tripped and fell, and now she's trying to sue the company, and you're like, ooh, this is good. It's like a soap opera. You're hearing all you're of the, the juicy, drama. Yeah, you hear all of the juicy things that are happening, like, oh, this warehouse flooded because that person did that. Ooh, this is good. And now they suing this, and it yes. literally was like, I'm into reality TV, so that was like my thing. So between all of those parts, those are the main functions of a treasurer is cash management, forecasting the cash so that the company knows what they can and can't do with the money that's on hand, and then risk management, managing the insurance policies and claims and reviewing the contracts to make sure that we're covered from an insurance perspective. You made treasury sound so fun. It is fun. <laughs> Be a treasurer. I'm telling you. Look, oh my I am so, like, I think I would tell people, it, depending on what skills I hear, hey, did you hear about treasury? Because that sounds like it could be a really cool Amazing. thing. Amazing. Oh, my gosh. Do you have any other friends who are in treasury? Or is your experience just as cool as it is because it's just you? Or do you know if other people are out there with I, the same experience? Mm, I don't know many other treasurers that have that same experience. Really the only, and this sounds so whack, I'm oh, I'm ashamed to even say it. Oh, don't judge me, people. <laughs> but the main friends that I have were my bosses because they taught me everything that I know. They showed me the ropes. They gave me um, experience where I was able to network with other people in other states through treasury conferences. Granted, a lot of those networking relationships I didn't hold on to, but at least I still got exposure to those communities. So yeah. I still keep in touch with both of my ex-managers. Okay, the listeners are like, Clint, teachers, Clint, <laughs> teachers. I really was, but I wasn't trying to be, but yeah. But that makes sense. Okay, so you had a really cool job in Treasury. You had great relationships, which really stems in the foundation of you, like learning how to network and connecting with people authentically. Mm -hmm. And now you're at your new company. You're enjoying your life. Then what happens? Hmm. <laughs> so then we had an acquisition. So I started at my company in 2008. In 2015, we were acquired by a German company. The U.S. culture, German culture, completely different. And mm. that really shook up everything. And at that time, that was when I was still in accounting. There were five of us. We were told there are only two accounting spots. So you guys need to duke it out or find somewhere else. And that's where, thankfully, I was able to move to Treasury. Well, in 2020, we went through another acquisition. This time, we were the acquiring company. So I thought, whew, better to be on this side of the road as opposed to the acquired company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's when I found out that I would be getting a new manager. And that new manager really didn't care too much about me or my work ethic. And that started to cause feathers to be ruffled for me. Yeah. It's, it's like... Um when you when you're watching the horror stories of corporate America and someone actually be gunning for you, absolutely, it sounds like that's what you're kind of um, experiencing. And yeah, I can't imagine what it's like for you. Like I can't even imagine. Yeah, he absolutely the new manager that came in was gunning for me, and God totally had my back. So through the networking from the risk management side of my job, I knew a bunch of insurance brokers. 
And one insurance broker had the foresight to tell me, hey, Christine, this person is doing this behind your back. Watch yourself because they're gunning for you. And so from that point, that's when my spidey senses came up and I started to see the backward walking in my business at my nine to five. I started to see different managers start to walk backwards. I started to see my manager start walking backwards. And that to me said, okay, you need to start taking steps to protect yourself because the way that this is going, something ugly is coming down the pipeline. Yeah. And my new manager was so bold enough to tell me, you need to watch out because something is coming down the pipeline. So as haughty as that was for him, I was really thankful that he gave me that to make me feel aware that, no, I'm not going crazy. People are now walking backwards and I need to take note. Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to derail us too much, but it just reminds me because we're in, we're in L.A., but I grew up on in the South. And mm-hmm. when I lived in Minneapolis, one thing that we would talk about as black people was it's always better to know your adversary up front mm-hmm. and up close and personal Absolutely. than to feel like you're safe and to like be blindsided. Mm-hmm. And so that's what it sounds like. Even absolutely. Though, like, <laughs> it like, was known. You don't like me. That's absolutely fine. Yeah. But thank you for telling me up front. So I know how to deal with it. Mm. So... This feels crazy. I, I'm, I'm on the edge of my chair because I'm like, how did you save yourself? How did you navigate? What did you do? So I didn't save myself. I actually got let go from the company. It was devastating to me because I loved my company. I loved what I did. I loved the people. I feel like if you can really find a company where you love the people, then it doesn't seem like work because you can literally do whatever but you're around those people day in and day out. A lot of times, more often than you are your family. And so when I got let go from my company because of that guy who gave me the warning ahead of time, it really crushed me and it left me feeling like, where do I go from here? And so it forced me to look inside of myself and try to navigate now, use my spidey senses outside of corporate America to figure things out. Mm. What was the first one of the first things that you did to start to recuperate your your self-esteem, your identity outside of that situation? I got a therapist. Oh, my gosh. I think that there is such a negative stigma around therapy where people make you feel like there's something wrong with you if you go to a therapist. And I went to a therapist during COVID, so I couldn't really see the person in person. Mm -hmm. And I only knew of therapy as being what I saw on TV. So for the first session, I set up my laptop. This is embarrassing. (laughs) I laid out on my couch because I knew that in therapy, you lay out on your couch. That is so funny. I'm going to lay out and I'm going to tell you my problems. But then she was expecting me to sit up. So then I'm like, okay, well, maybe you don't. I don't know how this is supposed to work. But it turned out to be like one of the best things for me. It really helped me to remember who I was and to remember that my self-worth isn't tied to some job and that the same Christine that worked at that nine to five was the same Christine that was now unfortunately unemployed, but that wasn't going to be where my story ended. Ooh, I mean, we got to get to that for sure, but I mean... <laughs> but I enjoy I, my best therapy sessions, no lie were when she was having technical issues with her monitor and I could just lay out on the couch and yes. share my heart and all of that. So I, I think I yeah. think that is that so 
of course, TV dramatizes Mm -hmm. uh, therapy with the couch. And I was thinking back to that Girlfriends episode where Joan went to therapy and she's like laying on the couch and the the, the, um, therapist is like, (laughs) but... If one, I agree, like being able to just lay on the couch and just talk it out, especially mm-hmm. if it's to a friend or to a therapist, it just feels better. Um, but you being able to come out of it with a sense of clarity, like, hey, there is a differentiation between the company's identity and my identity, mm-hmm. and I am going to be okay. Mm-hmm. So before we move on to the next chapter, I'm just curious, how would you reach out like what what would that one thing be that you would share to someone and how would how would you tell them to navigate based on what you know now as you didn't know before navigating as in if they're in a difficult situation in their nine to five yes that is a really good question I think I would tell them to listen to yourself don't doubt yourself I would tell them to find people that will be your allies. Because for me, that is what was critical. Finding people in my company that no matter what was going on, I knew that I can count and trust on them as an ally. A lot of times in corporate America, we think that HR are allies and they are not. They are paid employees by the company that are there to do what the company instructs them to do. So by having people that are actually in your company, especially if they're higher ups that are allies for you, is going to be critical to navigating in those spaces. Because a lot of time they have experience that you don't necessarily have, which was the case in my instance. So when I started going through those difficult times with my manager... I had my allies that I would go to and say, this is what's happening. What should I do? And my allies were the ones that said, Christine, start documenting. Christine, any time that you send an email to that manager, CC somebody else. So that way I'm protecting myself and shielding myself from anything that could potentially happen. Yeah. That's a really good one. And I feel like you had the perfect combination of at least, you know, parental support as far as it could take you and then having guidance and adversary, sorry, allies in company, in corporate, and then you being able to take their feedback and execute it to to the best of your ability. Mm -hmm. Um, And then even come out you know, half, half unscathed, right? (laughs) Nothing that can't be fixed with a little therapy. Right. And so you have developed this crazy sense of experience in all these different departments in finance. And this was not too long ago. When was this? This was in March of 2021 that I experienced all of that and was let go from my company. Yeah. So not only with the brand identity piece, I'm just curious, what does your identity show up as? As a numbers person, an accounting person, how do you personify that in public or in your family, personal relationships? I don't. <laughs> it's when I'm, clear, out, when I'm out in public, people would never guess that I'm in finance. People would never guess that I'm good with numbers. They usually ask me if I'm like into law or if I'm a speaker. I get that, but never. People are usually baffled when I tell them that I'm good at finance. But how that shows up is when we go to dinner <laughs> you and the check <laughs> comes. People usually just slide it over to me and are like, yeah, Figure just let out. me know how much I have to pay. And I'm like, okay, I got you. So yeah, I become that person that has to calculate the tab. Yeah, because mm-hmm. they know you got it. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, I'm curious, are you the finance person in your marriage as well? 
This is the craziest thing. So yes, I am the finance person (laughs) in my marriage, but my husband can do math in his head. So he thinks he's better than me because he can do the math in his head and because I either need to use paper or a calculator or even my fingers. Yes, I still use my fingers. There's nothing wrong with using your fingers. (laughs) I support the use of fingers. So yeah, he he likes to shove that at me and he quizzes me very often. But yes, overall, (laughs) I manage the finance. He and I need to meet because I have my degree in finance, but your girl found out that she was not the money manager. Mm. Now I can count in my head. I can analyze a situation and spice it up 10 different ways. But and you know what? Maybe I'll meet a man who's more inclined with finances. But Mm. right now I kind of just feel like I don't feel like I'm the best. So we'll, we'll have to see what that balance looks like. But, you know, I will totally meet him and say, hey. Your skill set, you have to figure out how it's applied here Um, because you also know a lot more about like just compounding interest, like things that come with the money management. That's just not just math. Mm -hmm. So, um, but what you said that's interesting is people will confuse you with, not confuse you, but, you know, kind of see it in you that you're a speaker. And the only thing that we've heard so far is that you you found your passion in Toastmasters, but in the job that you didn't even take, and you went another route. Mm-hmm. So now that we're back here, what talents and gifts are you exploring today? I am exploring public speaking for sure. There is an energy that comes in me when I am speaking in front of people, when I'm speaking to people, I feel like I'm in my zone and you can't deny that. And so when you're exposed to being in your zone and then you're working a nine to five, which is not your zone, (laughs) working a nine to five, being in a cube and not really being able to speak to people, it, it makes you feel a certain uncomfortability when you're used to being in your zone or for me, my zone. And so now I'm looking at How can I change and shape my life to where I'm now in my zone doing things that can help other people because I have a heart for people. I have a heart for under. So you know what it feels like to find your zone and you know what it feels like to be in your zone. So what are you doing now to like explore that feeling and then test it out, see if it's actually a a calling for you? Absolutely. So Clubhouse, there recently was a social media app that came out, which is audio-based, which was my comfort zone. <laughs> my, my, oh, I loved everything that was, that Clubhouse was about. And so I've been using that to a certain extent to really get my feet wet and dabble in this whole public speaking thing. I actually, through Toastmasters, there are two, I guess, credentials that you can get through Toastmasters. One is a Distinguished Toastmaster Award, which is the highest honor you can get. I got that. But then there's something that even exceeds that, which is called an accredited speaker. That is when Toastmasters International says, you are a dope speaker and we will now certify you as being a dope speaker. So once you get to that level, you can pretty much be like an ET or a lot of those big speakers that you see out there. That is where I am now headed in Toastmasters is on the path to being an accredited speaker. And I am now mentoring with an accredited speaker so that I can get that. That is so cool. So I was in Toastmasters, but and and I always speak about Toastmasters because I always tell people that that is how I became a pretty good speaker from, I would say, to my own horn. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm curious, what was the environment when you were in Toastmasters? Do you feel like 
there were people who are great at it and then there were people who weren't so great at it and you were in the middle or were you the best in your like your group? When did you start to develop like figure out where you stood in the pack? Definitely. So when I first started out, oh, I was a mess. But even though I thought I was a mess, people, even from my first speech, thought, oh my gosh, Christine, you're so great. And so each time I spoke, like I mentioned, from a little girl up until even when I was in Toastmasters, anytime I spoke, people would say, oh my gosh, you're so great. And so again, my spidey senses tingled and I thought, why is it that people keep saying, oh my gosh, you're so great whenever I open my mouth? And that really made me think, is there something to this that is beyond me that maybe I should be using my voice a little bit more often because that can do more than the numbers that are on the Excel page? Yeah. So right now we have your your corporate career, which you can always go back to any, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and rightfully so, you're currently in corporate, so mm-hmm. you can always leave or stay or whatever. And then you have this passion, which you're coming into and finding where purpose lies within your voice. Mm-hmm. And so there's this other piece that we haven't explored, which is entrepreneurship. And so how does this fit into your whole picture at, the, at this time? Yeah. So I was exposed to entrepreneurship by my husband. When I first met him, he's not from California. So he came here and we met on Tinder. Yes, on Tinder. I have a very interesting life now that I think you about know, it. You know, I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. We should have been talking about that for all this time. So I met him through Tinder. And when I was asking him what he does, he said that he was an artist. And here in California, everybody's either an actor, an artist, a singer, a rapper. Mm. Those are like the ones where it's kind of like, I'm going to keep you at a distance, but you're cool people so we can be friends. Mm. One sounds like because the stability. Yeah. There is none. Absolutely. And then a lot of people think that they are something, but they're not really putting in the work. So it's like, are you really a rapper or do you just like to play with your computer and not really go anywhere with it? Mm -hmm. So I friend zoned him. But after watching his life and his consistency, and he was really dope at what he did, it was like, okay, he really is an artist. This isn't somebody who's just saying I am something, but really they're not. Mm. So when I saw his life and I saw what entrepreneurship looked like through him, and I saw the joy that he had doing what he loved, which is drawing cartoons and caricatures and things like that. Once we got married, I had determined in my head, I'm going to work a nine to five because if I can't live out my dreams and be in my happy speaking space, at least one of us should have to. And so that's pretty much how we worked it. But day in and day out, watching him roll out of bed, determine his own timing (laughs) and to see money come in, it was like, maybe just maybe I should try this entrepreneurship thing. So I started to dip my toes in it and he encouraged me and he's been there to support me. Sometimes a lot of tough love, which I don't really like as much, but it's needed. And that's really where I am now and where I am now is pursuing entrepreneurship. I have my own business numbered curls where I'm able to speak and help people and make products for people. You know what? And, and you know, I, I hear, I hear like your growth and your um, ability to 
use your self-awareness and then your awareness to just kind of watch your husband and, and even the patience to find a man and then allow him to show, to reveal himself to you. Like that's a whole other conversation, which I'm oh, I want, like, I know we're going to have to bring her back in for another conversation. <laughs> but when it comes to your company, so a little backstory, Numbered Curls is a brand for natural hair, natural hair women who mm-hmm. don't want to do so much to the point where they abuse their hair. And also throughout the journey that we listened to, there were so many highs and lows from anxiety to depression. And there were parts of that we didn't get a chance to hear today that um, I get a front seat to because I know you. <laughs> But the passion of using numbered curls to empower women and then to also care for themselves. Could you tell us a little bit about how your how numbered curls can really improve the lives of so many women? Yeah. I mean, even as it pertains to nine to five, which is what we're dealing with now, I cannot tell you how many times I've gone on interviews and people have said, Oh, make sure you straighten your hair so that you can look presentable for the interview. And it was like, why do I have to straighten my hair if that's not how I normally am? So in corporate America, I find that a lot of women of color have to change themselves in order to seem professional. And so that's where my passion with number curls really is now, is helping a lot of professional women to know that how you are naturally is professional and that your hair and your skin does not... define your professionalism. You aren't more or less professional because you wear your hair curly or because you even have locks and you shouldn't have to change because somebody else is thinking that you are unprofessional because of how you look. Thank you so much for saying that. You being in this space where one thing that we talk about in corporate is like, they will respect other things about you as long as you do your job well. Mm -hmm. And because you do your job in finance so, so well, I'm glad that you can be a voice for us in the hair department Mm -hmm. that says, hey, we can be professional, we can be good at we do, and we can wear our hair hair as however we want. Mm -hmm. And so you being able to do this gives us a voice, but it sounds like you'll be able to use your voice to communicate exactly what it is that we're trying to say. Because a lot of us are coming to work, and I'll give you an example. <laughs> this is funny. When I, um, 2014 esque, 2015, I wore my hair long and straight for the longest. It was shoulder length, and you take pride in your shoulder length hair, girl. <laughs> and I think I read an article. I think I read an article. I can't tell you what article it was. It was something I read, something I digested. And I said, you know what? I was so upset, but I couldn't necessarily reflect how I was feeling from an African-American perspective. Mm. And so one, I took, a, I took a step to cut my hair. But then I started to wear it much more natural, much more natural, much more natural. And then eventually I had a tiny little afro. And I can remember to this day, I was on a plane. I was listening to something again where it was Black Power-esque. Mm. And I was like, you know what? They might not hear what's coming out of my mouth, how upset I am, but they can see it on my face. I, I was so <laughs> There was a time when I let my hair speak for myself. And I went to I went to corporate America with an Afro. I mean, and it was like 70s type Afro. Like it was really just a statement because I didn't necessarily feel beautiful. I was really rebelling against everything. Mm-hmm. It was def- it was definitely a rebellion. And I think as I'm talking to you and what's coming up for me is the fact that I didn't have a voice. 
I don't even think I knew what to say. It would it would seem like it's really important for you to take this space and put yourself in a in a lane where you can communicate what it is that that girl was trying to say and what it is that this girl is trying to say and use your brand to do that. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're really in an awesome space. So what is like what is your support system other than your husband? How do they feel about your entrepreneurship? Because you're still employed. So what would that leap actually look like for you? Oh, yes, I am still employed. But because I am a financial guru, I have already mapped out everything that is needed to retire early. My mom is the goat for that. She retired. I won't say her age that she retired at because she retired recently. (laughs) But she retired well under the normal age of retirement because she just had all of her ducks in a row. And so I want to make sure that I'm doing the same thing. But... Ideally, what I want to do with number curls and with the nine to five is just make sure that I have financial freedom. That is the most important thing for me. And so with number curls, I really want to set it up to where not only do I have financial freedom, but I'm also helping other people in the process. So the next step for me is looking how I can build a community of women where I can help educate them as to what they can do with their hair and the best things of making those statements that I was mentioning about corporate America. Mm. That's so powerful. <laughs> I can see it coming to fruition as we speak. I'm I, like, I literally can see it right in front of me. So I am so excited to see what comes next. There's one last thing that I'm just curious about how we could possibly do this. And it hinges <laughs> on a table topics. Oh, <laughs> okay, shoot. I'm okay, in. perfect. So um, you know, usually for those who don't know what table topics is, there would be, um, so what we would do in my, our group is put a bunch of different topics in a hat and we would just pull one. When you get to the podium, you have 60 seconds to think about it and shoot, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I have just a few thoughts, a few words that I can throw out there. You can have however long I'll maybe cut out some time so you can actually think <laughs> about it. And then give us your table topics on the following words. Okay. Okay. So themes would be black power, corporate stability, and a millionaire. Black power, corporate stability, and millionaire. Talking about black power, corporate America, and being a millionaire. A while back... I learned about the story of Manhattan Beach. I forget the name of the beach, but it is a beach that's named after a black family. They actually owned property all along the beachfront in Manhattan Beach. So that is millions upon millions of dollars of property. The government came in and basically said with eminent domain that they had to leave all of that property behind. And they gave it to other people that weren't black. And so now all of those properties are now thriving and multi-million dollar properties and that family is left with nothing. And being able to be property owners, I feel that you have to know how to run a business because property management is a business. And for me, I've utilized my nine to five experience to teach me what a successful business looks like. Because a lot of times as African-Americans, we aren't privy to see what a successful business looks like on the inside, unless we infiltrate through the Trojan horse. So my nine to five experience for me 
has been an infiltration of the corporate America, of the successful businesses, of the multi-billion dollar global businesses to see how are they handling their money? How are they dealing with and training their employees? How are they managing the cash? What investments are they taking? What moves are they making? Are they buying properties? And what are they using as signals to know when to move and when not to move? Things that I normally wouldn't get privy to, as long as I show up at my desk, I'm asking legal, oh, what are you doing? How does that work? Oh, cool. I'm asking accounts receivable. Oh, how do you collect those unresolved receivables? Oh, interesting. I'm asking the payables people. Hmm. So what are your payment terms that you're extending? Oh, okay. And then with regards to our payment terms, how are you negotiating something longer where you're getting people to pay us in shorter payment terms, but we're extending ours and we don't have to pay for 60, 90 days? Oh, okay, cool. Interesting. So I'm playing the part and I'm using the Trojan horse in my nine to five so that I'm empowered as an African-American to then empower my community. So everything that I'm learning through my Trojan horse on the inside as to how to be a millionaire, because all those CFOs, CEOs, all of the VPs that are at the top, they are millionaires, guaranteed, trust me. I've seen their houses. <laughs> they live in the area. I've seen the cars. They are driving dope cars. But that to me is the essence of black power is getting the information that you're not privy to and taking it back and empowering your people so that they can then take that information and run with it. Because if we don't have people that are infiltrating on the inside, we'll never know what's really happening. And we can't really be empowered if there's stuff out there that we don't know. So that is my goal. And that is also why I have number curls is because I want women to be empowered to know and understand and love their hair. And it's not until you get to the inside and understand the inside that you can really take care of the outside. Black power. Black power. <laughs> Millionaire. Yes. And being a professional. I forget what the third one was. It was corporate stability. Corporate stability. Oh, corporate stability, yes. So by infiltrating and learning everything, you become an asset because not only do you know your information, but you know the information of the other departments. So for example, there was a time where the account payable lead was out sick. And because I had developed a relationship with her, I knew exactly what she did. So I was able to jump in and help making myself a valuable asset to that nine to five, mm. which provided me stability. So you get in, you infiltrate, you learn all the roles that makes you very priceless in the eyes of the company and offers you corporate stability. And corporate stability. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. What's coming up for me right now is I like your ability to leverage your skill set, your knowledge, and your sense of self to find your your space in corporate and find that corporate stability. And I also respect the fact that your story also ex exemplifies what it looks like to lose that corporate stability. And so make no mistake on the fickleness of corporate America, using your abilities and your skills to find that stability is mm -hmm. what you're saying in that story. Absolutely. I think you brought up a great point because... There is no such thing really as corporate stability. I thought that I was Miss Corporate Stability. I thought that there is no way. If there are ever rounds of layoffs when I ever saw HR coming by, 
never in a million years would I ever have thought, oh, my job is going to be in question with anything that's happening because I am the epitome of corporate stability. On this side of things, that was very conceited. (laughs) That was a very haughty approach. But really, it just let me know that when somebody else is determining your fate, which is what happens in these nine to five companies, because you're not the boss, you're not the one calling the shot. Mm -hmm. There is no stability unless you are the boss. So why not establish corporate stability for yourself by being bosses in respective areas? I was going to say being the boss, but for me, getting to that millionaire spot, getting to the financial freedom is being a boss in different areas. Y'all, I want to just, I just want to high five her just real quick because that was so strong. Christine, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank Thank you for sharing your journey, your expertise. I am so excited to hear about your entrepreneurial endeavors and to hear you explore this voice, this gift a little bit further. And then for us to see how all of these things, numbered curls, your voice, and then this CFO package that just kind of goes under the radar. I'm so curious to see how they are all going to mesh together. So if there is someone out there who is on the same journey or interested in either entrepreneurship or they have a person who's an entrepreneur and they don't necessarily know how they're going to leave their job, their nine to five to go into entrepreneurship, how can they find you? How can they get in contact with you? And how can they learn more about your endeavors? Absolutely. So I would tell them, one, (laughs) if they have any questions about entrepreneurship, speak to multiple entrepreneurs, not just one. I'm happy to have people come and speak to me. You can reach me at numberedcurls at numberedcurls.com. But don't just speak to me because that was one of the things that I'm so thankful for is that I spoke to different people because my story is different from your story and your story is different from my husband's story, which is different from all of the different entrepreneurial experiences. And you don't want to get pigeon held by having just one person tell you or swayed you with their side. But I do love talking to people. So yes, <laughs> numbered curls at numberedcurls.com is where most people can find me. I'm also available on all social media at numberedcurls.com. And I'm happy to talk anything nine to five, give guidance about entrepreneurship. Because entrepreneurship, even though it is something that is romanticized, there are some really tough times that come with entrepreneurship as well. And so- yes. Preparation is the key to anything, whether you're in your nine to five, whether you're an entrepreneur, just being able to set out a roadmap. So that is the one thing I would want to leave people with is set out a roadmap, set out a plan as to what you want to accomplish, because otherwise you're just driving aimlessly around. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. You guys have been witness to this awesome edition of the Work and Play podcast. Stay tuned. We are going to maybe have a replay or part two. But thank you guys for listening and thank you for watching. We'll see you on the flip side. Bye. Bye.